I've been reading a book about the de-churched in America. And one of the interesting things that has happened in our country since COVID is how many people have actually gotten out of the habit of going to church, people that have moved. And in the study that was done, especially of evangelicals that were not back in church, no one had just simply invited them to church. And they said, if someone would invite me or just, they just haven't, they've just been surprised, especially young adults, that no one has invited them. When we begin to pray about that here at the staff and think about that, if that's the call that people are having, let's you and I reach out to them. Let's be a friend to them. There are mission field as well as the foreign missions, and we want to love our friends and our neighbors and our community. So on this particular Sunday, we're asking you, would you just invite at least five people in our community that, you know, don't go to church anywhere? <clears throat> I've already issued my invitations, and I will be. Do you remember the Y2K bug? Anybody remember that? Do you remember how often you heard about the Y2K bug? That's the kind of bug I'm going to be. So I want you to reach out to your friends and love them, and let's invite them to church. My first memory of missions was I was 16 years old. I would recently given my heart to Christ, and I really wasn't, um, at this point, I really wasn't sure about a lot of things in the church. I knew I loved Jesus. I wasn't sure about the church at all, but I knew that I loved Jesus. As a matter of fact, not long after I gave my heart to Christ, there was someone at our local church that just did not show anything of the love of Jesus and some of the things that were said to the teenagers in our church. I remember it caused a, a lot of hurt and pain. I remember coming down Hartley Bridge Road, and if you ever go around Macon driving to Florida down 475, when you connect back to 75, that's the first exit you see is Hartley Bridge Road. I was driving down that road, and I just said, Lord, don't ever let me forget this moment and how I feel right now. I was in my dad's pickup truck when I was praying that prayer and just thinking about what had happened. But we had a missionary. We had a missionary that our pastor had invited. That He just exuded the love of Jesus. I had heard about growing up a man from Georgia, a man that my family knew. I didn't know him, but a man from Georgia by the name of J.W. Tucker who gave his life in missions serving in the Congo. As a matter of fact, his family was evacuated from the Congo, and Pastor Tucker refused to leave the Congo because he felt so called to the church there. And when the rebels invaded their town, they literally hacked Pastor Tucker up and threw his body into the river, and he was consumed by crocodiles. That story had made an impact on my life because how could anyone, when you grow up in the deep south, how could anyone, you know, stay in a situation like that? I remember listening to the missionary whose name was Bob Creel, who would later become a very close friend, and I spoke for Bob in Africa and Greece and San Francisco and taught at their school. It just became a wonderful friend. He's in heaven now, but... That night, as I listened to him talk about his experiences of living in the Congo, preaching in the Congo, going right back to where J.W. Tucker had been martyred at, he said these words, I've never forgotten. There is a joy and a reward that belongs to all Christians 
who not only participate and go, but who pray, who support, and befriend Jesus and their call to missions. And I've always wanted to be a friend of Jesus. I've always wanted to to be a part of what Jesus was doing. After that service in Macon, Georgia, he, he took time to talk with me and answer my questions about how I could be a friend of Jesus and missions as a high school student. I was still very sick at that time, but I remember him talking to me about prayer. I remember him talking to me about something called Speed the Light that our students support here at Woodland Church. I, I remember him saying to me, even though I had just recently recovered from having a colostomy removed in my body, he said to me, one day you may preach in Africa. And I just thought that was so beyond belief that one day I would preach in Africa. And you can judge this for what you want. Those of you watching online, you don't know me, so you can take this with a grain of salt. And those of you watching online that do know me, you know I wouldn't exaggerate, but I remember praying about that very thing that, that Bob Creel had shared with me, and I literally had a vision and in my vision, I was preaching in Africa to a large group of people, thousands of people. The building was just as clear. It was a metal building, and nobody was building metal buildings in those days. It was a big metal building. I was preaching to people, and I began to share that, that one day God was going to let me go to Africa, and everybody that knew me laughed. Never share your dream too early, okay? Never share, because people will try to kill your dream. They'll try to destroy your dream. And it wasn't an ego trip, but I just remember, well, in my 40s, I was invited to go to Ethiopia and to preach in Ethiopia. And I didn't think, I haven't thought about that vision in years. I wrote about it as a kid. I still have what I wrote about it as a kid. But I'm preaching on the platform. I had never seen people, and I'm going to back away from the pulpit for those of you on the camera. I saw people in my vision. They were worshiping the Lord like this. They were moving back and forth like this in their worship. And I'd never seen anybody do that in America. And all of a sudden, there are thousands of people there, and there are thousands of people. They're worshiping the Lord like that. And I remember thinking while I'm preaching, this is that vision I had when I was just a teenager. Don't you ever, ever underestimate what God will do in the lives of our sons and our daughters. Can you say amen to that? Never underestimate what God will do. Well, come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. <laughs> Pastor Creel told me then, missions is not a burden that has been placed upon our shoulders but mission is a promise. Mission is a reward. Mission is a gift that God has given to the church. And the more I've thought about that through the years, the more I've come to believe that and know that that's true. I called my father from Ethiopia, and I had told my dad about that dream. And dad's advice was always this, son, if it's of God, just don't talk about it. Just put it back and pray about it, and one day it'll happen. I said, Dad, I forgot all about it, but remember that dream with people walking back and forth? And he goes, he remembered, and we rejoiced together because what God had shown me as a teenager, God was doing in my 40s. 
You see, the Bible says this, that Jesus said that all authority in heaven and earth have been given to him. And when I understand that, and when I embrace that and I believe that, that that changes how I live. I walk into certain places now, and because I'm a member or because I'm a part of a committee or a board, I don't walk in like I used to, not knowing where I need to go or hesitant if I can go in here, but I know where I have access to and who I have access to because of someone else's authority that has delegated responsibility to me. And you and I have a delegated call from heaven that God has called us to. Bob Creel helped me to understand as a sick young man, I didn't have to be stuck and give in to my physical circumstances. I didn't have to be stuck and give in to my lack of abilities that I just compared to everybody else that I didn't have. But I remember Bob Creel laying hands and praying for me and saying, God will use anybody that will say, Lord, here I am, use me. God will use anybody that will say, Lord, here I am, use me to have a dramatic impact upon the kingdom of heaven. I'd like to see the hand of everyone in here that is willing to say, Lord, use me this morning. Could I see your hand? You want to be used of God. You want God to work through your life and flow through your life. Well, I want you to know that God wants to use you wherever you are, however weak, whatever circumstances you might be facing, whatever you are facing in life today, God is saying, I want to use you. So there's a prayer from the Bible. I want us to pray together. Would you stand with me? We're going to go to Psalm 67, the first three verses. Let me read them, and then we're going to read them together as a prayer to the Lord this morning. God, be merciful to us and bless us. Look on us with kindness so that the whole world may know your will, so that all nations may know your salvation, and may the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Will you pray that with me this morning? Let's pray together. God, be merciful to us. Wait a minute. I couldn't hear you pray. Let's get started. God, be merciful to us and bless us. Look on us with kindness so that the whole world may know your will, so that all nations may know your salvation. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. I'm asking you this morning, O Holy Father, once again, that the world will look at every believer, especially from here at Woodland, in our community, Lord, and that when they look upon our lives, they may see the will of God. The will of God that says, Beloved, I wish that you may prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. The will of God that husbands would love their wives as Christ loved the church. And that wives, Lord, would submit unto their husbands, Lord, as the church submits unto Christ. Father, that children would honor and obey their parents, Lord, that it might go well with them. Father, that our nation might honor your name so that the windows of heaven might be opened up upon us, O Lord. I pray that all that is pure and noble and lovely, God, may be seen in our lives and above all. May we be known, each and every one, not for a sentimental, sloppy expression of love, but, Lord, for the amazing 
amazing expression of the love and the kindness and the patience of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that the whole world may know your will. And everyone again said, amen, amen, and amen. Let's give him another hand of praise today, would you? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. My next statement to you became so true in my life, and just because it's true in my life doesn't mean that it's true for everyone. But I hope to anchor this statement for you right out of the Word of God so that you will see that it is true for everyone. And that statement is simply this, when love and truth meet, you have mission. When love and truth meet together, you have mission. Every country believes in ambassadors. Every nation sends ambassadors. It doesn't matter how small the country or how prosperous the country. Ambassadors are missionaries. They go to represent the interest of their country, their nation. There have been very effective ambassadors, and there have been very poor ambassadors. I've been so privileged to be the guest in a number of embassies around the world. But a few years ago, I had a challenge that came up before a certain missions trip, and I just wondered, would the... Would the embassy be willing to help me the way our church is willing to help other people? So I called the embassy of a certain nation in Washington, D.C., and I said, I need help. I'm going to your nation. This is what I'm going to be doing. This is the team that I'm going to be leading, and I need your help. I know that whoever's responsible for this is very busy. I promise you I only need 10 minutes, 15 minutes at the max could I come tomorrow? I promise I will be early, and I promise I will get up and leave at the end of 15 minutes. They said, let us call you back. The embassy called me back, true to their word, and says, if you can be here at such and such a time, I took a real gamble. I called Delta. Could I get there by that time? I flew in that morning. I was on time at the embassy. I was welcomed with tea and cookies. I was treated like I was somebody special important. I was taken past armed guards, and I was seated in an office where I was greeted by a minister from that nation that helped us accomplish our mission from here at Woodland Church. I left at the end of 15 minutes, and the marvelous thing was that second secretary got up and walked with me and wanted to know what we were doing. And I said, we're trying to do the very same thing you're doing here. What a wonderful embassy this is. I hope our church treats people as well as you have treated me today. Because this is what missionaries do. Jesus came to show us God. Jesus came to show us what God is like. He came to show us God's love. He came to show us God's grace. He came to show us God's mercy. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Jesus came to heal broken people. He came to heal broken relationships. He came to heal the sick. He came to deliver those that were under the control of demonic spirits. But he also came to tell us the truth about life and to tell us the truth about eternity and what matters. When someone in my family gets sick, or when someone in your family gets sick, we work very hard to get them well. And I'm sure that like me, you've had somebody in your family that's got sick, and they've denied that they were sick. If that's true, would you lift up your hand and just let me know? Sure. We have those kind of people. Most of them are known as M-A-L-E. Am I correct? 
we just deny the fact that we need to go see the doctor. We just deny the fact that there's anything wrong with us. And yet, when we know that somebody's sick, we, we immediately begin talking to them about eating healthier, exercising, taking their medications, going to see the doctor. And if they give us any resistance because we love them, because they matter to us, we work even harder at trying to persuade them. We, we come up with more information. We constantly check in on them. We might even be accused by them of smothering them with love or somehow or another badgering them. But what we're doing is what the Bible calls evangelism. We're trying to share with them the good news. We're trying to persuade them, as we say in our mission statement, to persuade people to become passionate followers of Christ. Why? Because two things have happened in your life. Listen carefully. Love for that person that is sick and the truth of how they can get better. They have met together in your life and suddenly there is a churning in your stomach. There is a churning in your soul because love and truth have joined together and you are not willing to let them die or suffer because of their ignorance or because of their stubbornness or because they just are denying the fact that they're not well. Friends, we will not give heaven any rest. We will not give this world any rest because lost people matter to God. Can somebody say amen this morning? Lost people matter to God. I had a wonderful example of this last week that just broke my heart. One of my closest friends, someone who worships with us here at Woodland, lost their pet last week. Friends were out looking. They were out at midnight hours looking for their pet. Facebook groups were formed. A reward was offered, and unfortunately, the pet was, was killed and drowned, and everybody grieved, and, and I was texting back and forth with them, and my heart was just broken for them, and I'm driving to go to the hospital to pray with someone this week, and the thought hit me, how many of us are that aggressively involved in reaching lost people? How many of us mourn when someone dies without having committed their lives to Jesus Christ? How many of us get up in the midnight hour? How many of us call our friends together and we're praying together because we know the truth and we love these folks and love and truth have met together in our lives and there's a churning in our souls and we know the best way we can celebrate God's love is not by being here, but it's by celebrating his love, by persuading people to become passionate followers of Jesus Christ himself. That's the call of God upon our lives. You have a mission. You are an ambassador. This is an embassy. We come here to get equipped and to serve so that we can go out into this world with love and truth. In John chapter 17 and verse 13, Jesus said, I'm coming to you. I talking about coming back to God, I'm coming to you. I've told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. I've given them your word. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I'm asking you to keep them safe from the evil one. Make them holy by your truth. In other words, God is sanctifying us even today. God is working in our lives as we listen to the word, as you read his word daily in your devotions. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is your truth. Now, look at this. Read it out loud with me. 
Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Read that with me again. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending you into the world. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus is sending you this morning. Mike, Jesus is sending you, friend. Vic, Jesus is sending you. Barb, Jesus is sending you. You see, sometimes that vision that we're sent and that we're ambassadors, it grows dim in our lives. It's interesting to me that for 30 years, Jesus stayed incognito. For 30 years, we don't know a whole lot. We know about his birth. We know about him as a 12-year-old. But when Jesus burst onto the scene, something amazing happened in his life. He refused to stay incognito any longer. He refused to hide. There were times that he would pull away. But what I learned from Jesus is there is a season for our lives. But faith is never private. Faith is never private. It's like the man I told you about a few months ago that came to me and said, I I just want to help you with something. He says, I think you need to be more inclusive. He said, I really enjoyed what you had to say, but I think you need to be more inclusive. And then he started poking me in the chest, and he said, but I think you also need to be less Jesus-y. And I thanked him, and I said, I promise you, I will try to be more inclusive and being sure everybody knows that they're loved by God and that Jesus came to die for all of our sins and that Jesus wants to save you just like he wants to save me, but I can never be less Jesus-y or I won't be authentic. He didn't know what to say to that. You see, Jesus is the reason we go because he sent us. When you're a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, that very phrase that we use to describe disciples here at Woodland, passionate followers of Jesus Christ, it says you have a strong connection with Jesus. It says you have a close connection with Jesus. You have an intimate connection with Jesus. You and Jesus are talking together every day. And because you're in touch with Jesus, you can never be complacent about this world. You can never be complacent about your family salvation. You can never be complacent about your subdivision. You can never be complacent about the work of God because you're in this close connection with Jesus Christ. We had a wonderful board meeting yesterday. And I don't see the man who started this at the board, but he said something about Georgia, and pretty soon our entire board meeting was consumed for just a few minutes about Georgia and Michigan. I am so sorry there are no Michigan State representatives on our board this year. But we even closed our board meeting talking about football. You see, when you are passionate about something, you can't help but talk. People are throwing out stats. People are talking about games. We're going back and forth with that that rivalry that I enjoy. But the point is this. When you are passionate about something, you can't be complacent. You can't be quiet. You see, when I am on mission, I am filled with joy. When I talk about Jesus, I'm filled with joy. When I talk about Becky, I'm filled with joy. When I talk about my kids, and especially my grandkids, I'm filled with joy. When I talk about you, I'm filled with joy. Think about this. When you were a child, did you ever say, I want to grow up and work behind a computer in an office eight hours a day in a cubicle? Did you ever grow up and say, when I grow up, I want to... I want to work on a hot, sweaty line all day, putting the same part on the same car every single day. 
When you were a child growing up, did you have dreams of maybe being a nurse or a doctor? Did you have dreams of being a forest ranger or a park ranger? Did you have dreams of, of being a, a fireman or a policeman? Did you have dreams of helping people and rescuing people and serving people? Did you have those kind of dreams that you said, I want to do something with my life? And yet now you have those childhood dreams in your memories and you think to yourself, what happened with that childhood dream? What happened with that teenage dream that was impossible for a sick teenager that one day it would be preaching to thousands of people who were worshiping God the way they were worshiping? What happened to that dream? What destroyed that dream? When I was a teenager, we used to sing a song, If I Had a Hammer. How many of you remember that song? A good Pete Seeger song. If I had, hammer, if I had a hammer, I'd hammer out danger. I'd hammer out injustice. When I was growing up, we wanted to do something with our lives. Seeger said, I'd hammer out love between my brothers and sisters. And then he said, do you know how long I'd hammer? I'd hammer in the morning. I'd hammer in the evening. And do you know how far he said he'd do it? I'd hammer it all over this land. If you're a baby boomer, you really want to sing that right now, don't you? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm almost tempted to call Becky up to the piano and just get some bell bottoms and start all over again. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was the drive and the call of our lives. I can't tell you how many times young people have come to me with a dream. They say, Pastor, my parents says, I'll never be able to do this. Pastor, my teacher said, I'll never be able to do this. Why do we destroy the dreams of our children and our teenagers? Why do we try to squash Is it because we didn't follow our dream of being a park ranger, forest ranger, or an astronaut? Is it because we failed to follow? Is it because that maybe we had some hard times in our life and we're trying to protect our children from the disappointments we had? We're on the line. We're behind the computer in a cubicle. We can't wait till we retire. I mean, we don't even really think about our jobs. What we really want is that day when we get to walk out and go, I don't have to work anymore. I can play shuffleboard for the rest of my life. If I believed in purgatory, that would be it. Because when you have a dream, you're motivated that love and truth meet together. They churn in your stomach, but it brings you joy. Look again at John 17, 13 with me. I told them many things while I was with them in the world so they would feel my joy or be filled with my joy. Christians, listen, don't miss this. Christians lose their joy when they lose their vision for mission. Christians lose their joy when they lose their vision for mission and they give it up. How do you get it back? Look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 with me this morning. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross. Read it with me. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility endured from sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up. I called a few people that I know before I called that embassy. 
Every one of them laughed at me. And I said, because they, they have experience in this. I mean, they know what they're doing. But how many of you know, you never really know unless you ask. And maybe it was just God's timing. Maybe it was a miracle. All I know was a phone call got me in where everybody else said I couldn't go. What were they going to say? No? Is my skin so thin that somebody says no to my invitation to friend day? Is my skin so thin that, oh gosh, that is such suffering and hostility. Would you grow up? Would you become a man of God? Would you become a woman of God? Would you have the faith that you sing about? Lost people matter to Jesus Christ this morning. Let's give him another hand of praise for that. Heaven is nearer than we ever thought before. Christians are the only ones who can really sing Pete Seeger's song, If I Had a Hammer. We know how to hammer out love. We know how to hammer out danger. We know how to hammer out evil. We know Jesus Christ and all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, and nothing can stand against a blood-washed child of God's. Nothing can stand against them. Well, you might say, well, Pastor, it sounds like J.W. Tucker, the man you referred to, somebody stood against him. Friends, you are one deluded fool if that's what you believe. Because the heavens opened up and J.W. Tucker came in, having overcame the world by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. And he will be so close to the throne of God and young men like Bob and young men and women like Bob and Becky Creole inspired and love and truth met in their lives and they impacted thousands through the years. You see, what Jesus did is he brought heaven to earth and he gave us not only the mission, but he gave us the promise of his power and his presence. He gave us the promise of his power and presence. Power has always interested me. And the way Jesus talks about power is so different than the way the world talks about power. Now, I want you to stop and think for just a moment. Jesus has the power of heaven and earth at his disposal. And Jesus is out in the middle of a lake, and he chooses to save 12 fishermen. And he says to a storm, peace be still. And he really doesn't want anybody to talk about it. Jesus meets a leper who the whole society and community <clears throat> says is unclean. And everybody rejects him, pushes him to the side, and Jesus embraces him and imparts his holiness, his cleanness to him. Jesus is not contaminated by this man's illness. Jesus instead brings wholeness to him. I could go on and on with the demonstrations of Jesus' power, not with motorcades, not with missile displays, not with power ties, not with ad campaigns, but when the power of God also met the love of God and the truth of God, people like you and me were changed and saved. That's not the way Americans think about using power. When Jesus used his power, capital P, let's use that capital P. When Jesus used his power, he used it to heal, to save, to restore, to deliver. 
He came to a gathering demoniac living in the tombs, naked and bound with chains, and Jesus comes and frees that man in the tombs, and rather than be happy about it, the community is angry about it. Paul wasn't kidding you, friend. Look at me. Paul was not kidding you, friend, when he said that he is able to do abundantly more than you could ever ask or think. John the Apostle wasn't kidding you, friend, when he said if every one of Jesus' miracles were written down, the whole world could not contain them. Jesus wasn't kidding you when he said his power and his presence would be with you and I whenever we went forth preaching the gospel in his name. Can you say amen? into that this morning. The gospel is no joke. Jesus came and told, look at with me at Matthew 28, if you would. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. Now, keep that verse in front of you and take your pen or your pencil, whatever you're using, or highlighter if you're on your iPad. Notice how Jesus brackets this command with his promise. His authority, circle that word authority, and then circle this last phrase in verse 20, I am with you. Jesus promises you and me his power, capital P, his presence, capital P, so that when you and I go out of here, we have lowercase p, power, and presence. God is with you this morning. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, God is with you. God is with you. Larry, God is with you this morning. Never forget God is with you. God blesses you. Now, let me just kind of wrap this up, and sweetheart, if you'll come to the piano. We all have different roles. But I was trying to illustrate this week, and I invited the staff back to the office because I saw something I had never really seen before. Just sometimes you don't see something until you go looking for it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, have you ever found something you didn't know you lost, but you just found it accidentally, and then... Have you ever found you're looking for something you can't find it? Well, I'm looking for something, and I think the Holy Spirit helped me to find this this week. Because for every, and I'm going to use this phrase in quotes, air quotes, for every super apostle that you see in the New Testament, you see a lot more average people like you and me, ordinary Christians. James had a different road. James stayed in Jerusalem and pastored the church. Peter and Philip they went far away to other places to establish churches. I, I could go on with that. Uh, the Apostle Thomas, he went all the way to the southern part of India. When I was preaching and teaching in India at the Buntane School, I, I asked, do you think the stories that we hear that Thomas came all the way to India? Oh, yeah. That's why there's so many people named Abraham and Thomas here in India. What as far as India? I mean, look at a globe today just to get an idea of how far that was. However, as I began looking through the Bible, I'm no Peter, I'm no Paul, but I look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, 
just ordinary Christians like you and me, they went sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ananias is just simply described as a Christian. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't an apostle. Ananias just simply went and he preached the gospel to Paul because the Lord told him so. There was a lady named Lydia. She started a church in her home. There was a business couple by the name of Priscilla and Aquila. They began to teach others the gospel. I could go on with this list, but let me just blow you away with one. In Romans chapter 16, go home and read this today. Unless my math was wrong, I counted Paul named 35 ordinary Christians like you and me. He thanked them for helping them in his ministry in Rome. 35 Christians in one chapter. You know what that says to me? It's not the super heroes of the faith. It's not the super apostles. It's people like you and me. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul says this, God's amazing grace has made me who I am, and his grace to me was not fruitless. I don't believe God's grace in your life, Ginger, will be fruitless. God's going to accomplish something. Lowell, God's grace has been fruitful through you and Olivia. I wrote down the names of all the people that I know personally you've impacted from the prisons to small groups here at our congregation. Would you just stop and think what God will do with your family? One day, God is going to take your family and he's going to spread the gospel. Come on, victory. One man's laying his wife on his husband's head right now. May God answer that prayer. God will take your family and make them abundantly fruitful. You see, it's my close, close, it's your close relationship with Jesus that makes us salt and light. I love to be remembered as a Georgia Bulldog. I love to be remembered as the pastor of Woodland Church. But more than anything else, I want people to say, he reminds me of Jesus. I want them to say of you, Barb. She reminds me of Jesus. Mike, I want them to say of you, when I'm with them, I sense the presence of Jesus. Can you say amen? Would you stand with me? I want to just show you eight simple things before I pray for you. Know the gospel. Get into one of our small groups if you don't. Study missions. Read a good missions biography like by Adoram Judson or William Carey. Read, we, we've got books here we'll give you at the church about missions. Share the gospel. Take advantage of Friend Day just to build a relationship. Be involved at Woodland this is your church. Be involved in a ministry. Serve somewhere. Above all, pray. Talk to Jesus about your friends long before you talk to them. I am so thankful for those of you who've been taking faith promise cards and filling them out and turning them in the offerings. I know that you have them this morning. I'm going to ask you to pray in just a moment. If you haven't made a faith promise to missions, that means if God provides above your tithes and offerings, this is what you'd like to do for missions every month. It might be $25. It might be $100 a month. We've got young people that are pledging to give $20 a month to missions. Teenagers, they don't have jobs, so I figure they're going to be hitting you up for their money. So 
you know, but don't you kill their dream. Don't get, give them a job, give them a chore. Let them know they're giving because they're earning. But you make a faith promise. Seven, go with us on a mission trip. And then finally, learn everything you can. When you become a faith promise giver, you'll get a monthly newsletter from Woodland Church about our missions, our missionaries, things that is going on. And you'll know. Read them, make them a part of your prayer life. Father, I love you so much. And I want the whole world to know. I thank you that a man named J.W. Tucker not only loved the Congolese people, but Lord, his faith inspired a young couple pastoring in Ludowici, Georgia. <laughs> no one here probably knows where that's at, Lord. But they gave up their tiny little church to go serve you in the Congo when everybody told them not to go. But that dream couldn't be destroyed. And Lord, one day they would touch my life and the life of thousands and thousands of others. Would you touch every one of us in here so that the whole world may know the will of God? Bless us, I pray. Now, Lord, as we prepare to bring our tithes and our offerings and our missions gifts to you, I ask you, would you speak to our hearts about faith promises today? For it's in Jesus' name I ask. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Ushers, if you would come forward.